good to hear you this morning. Good to be here. Glad that you're here. If you are here for the very first time, my name is David Miles. I'm director of discipleship, part of the teaching team. And uh, I was thinking this morning that to win the Super Bowl is a really challenging thing to do. And I was thinking that probably just below that is preaching on six chapters of Scripture in 25 minutes. <laughs> You're going to get to witness, witness both of those today uh, because that's what we're doing. We're flying through chapters 5 through 10 of Genesis this morning. Now, over the course of the last couple of weeks, you have had the opportunity to hear on the creation story, the creation account. And then last week, Pastor, Pre Pastor Pete preached on the fall. In the garden, things were beautiful, they were perfect, and then Adam and Eve decided that it would be good to eat from the one tree that God told them not to eat from. And so we see this fall, this sin trickle down into their offspring, Cain and Abel. Cain decides that uh, because he's angry with Abel, he's going to kill him. Not a good choice. And so through that even, we see this trickle down of sin all the way down throughout the course of Scripture, throughout the course of history to us today. And as you well know, we live in an incredibly fallen world. And uh, so today we're going to continue the story looking at the great flood. You know the story of Noah and the ark. Um, it's a pretty incredible account, but it all stems from a sinful world. The last couple of weeks I've been looking on my phone at some of the news apps that I have. And to be honest, I'm really tired of looking at them because all that is on my news app is just a bunch of sad, depressing, sickening sort of news. And so a couple weeks ago, I started trying to find a new news app. I still haven't found a good one yet that has some sort of balance between positive things, because we know that there are some positive things going on in the world. It's just all negative. And we watch the news, we hear the headlines, and if you're anything like me, it brings us to a place where you just ache. I mean, it just brings this grief inside of you, like, how can this be the world that we live in today? And yet, all because of what happened so many years ago in the garden. It's not disconnected at all. In fact, it is, it is trickled down through the centuries to where we are here in Maple Valley today in the world around us. It is a direct result of that sin. And so we see that the world that we're in is a broken and sinful world, a world that brings us to a place of grief and heartache. And we'll jump into Genesis chapter 5 through 5 through 10 here in just a moment, where we'll find a lot of grief. But I want to take a moment just to think about the flood and think about Noah and the ark. Because oftentimes when we think about this story, we think of really pretty things like murals. Murals. <laughs> like murals. I mean, look at that. That's happy. That's beautiful. I mean, you want to put this nice ark mural in your nursery. Robin Jess, have you thought about that? Nice mural. It's beautiful. Sometimes it's, it's toys. When our kids were little, they had very similar toys to this. Um, my son, Emerson, used to sing a song, Who built the ark? Noah, Noah, who built the ark? Brother Noah built the ark. It's like happy, nice, and upbeat. I was also looking online to see what other sorts of things are related to the flood. I saw that at one point in time, Joan Rivers had this line of jewelry that had pears, like a little charm bracelet sort of thing with pears of animals. Oftentimes we think of this as this really beautiful, really fun story of like Noah going on this cruise with these animals. <laughs> but the reality is that's not what this story is about. This story is about deep, deep grief. Before we get into 
the meat of all this. We have to look at two chapters, chapter 5 and chapter 10. These are kind of the bookends for the story, and they're genealogies. And if you're anything like me, genealogies are not the most fun or enjoyable sections of Scripture to read, right? I mean, they just go on and on and on. And there are a lot of them. There are a lot of them. But these are important genealogies because Genesis 5 is the genealogy from Adam to Noah. So we get from this place of creation all the way to Noah, who God asks to basically recreate creation. And then chapter 10 is Noah's offspring, and it provides this genealogy down to Abraham, through which we find David, and ultimately Jesus himself. So these genealogies are really significant, and we can't just totally gloss over them. We have to recognize that they're significant in their place, and they bookmark, or bookend rather, this story where God recreates this beautiful creation, or at least attempts to recreate this beautiful creation that was originally established in the garden. Now, when we look at this account, we're going to jump right in here at the beginning in Genesis 5, 1 through 3, just for a second, because it's important for us to see this, this genealogy. So if you'll turn with me just for a second, Genesis 5, 1 through 3, this is written... This is the written account of Adam's family line. When God created mankind, he made them in, his, in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them. And he named them mankind when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. Now here's the thing. Cain and Abel, they didn't do so well, right? So as it says in verse 25 of chapter 4, Seth replaces Abel. And so this is that final genealogy through which um, we find ourselves at, at Noah. And Noah is tasked with a very remarkable sort of undertaking, if you will. Now, Genesis 6, as we get into this account, the first thing that we have to recognize is that while we typically view the Genesis account as something related to uh, a flood, there's something that happens beforehand that is sad, to say the least. And I'm going to tell you, to begin with here, there's going to be a lot over the course of the next 25 minutes that we're not going to be able to dive deep into. And so I want to encourage you to take some time on your own to dive into some of these areas. And these first few verses of chapter 6 are particular verses that I would encourage you to spend some time studying. In the back, we have a waypoint this morning that provides additional resources related to Genesis. So if you want to pick up a card there and get some of those recommended study guide resources, that would be a wonderful thing to do. But Genesis 1 or excuse me, Genesis 6, 1 through 8 says this. When human beings began to increase in number on the earth, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of human were beautiful, and they married any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal. Their days will be 120 years. And the Nephilim were on the earth. In those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children by them, they were the heroes of old, men of renown. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. I regret that I have made them. The God of all 
all creation finds himself in a position where he looks out at what is going on in creation, and he is heartbroken. He is grieved. Verse 5 says, The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on earth had become, and that every inclination of thought of his heart was only evil all the time. There is this incredible disconnect between the creator and the creation. There's this incongruity between who God created us, creation, to be and what is actually playing out in real time. And as God observes this, he is deeply, deeply moved. God created us to be covenant partners. That's why we use the language for membership. He created us to be in this relationship. It was his desire for unity and faithfulness, for connection and goodness and love between himself and humanity. And yet there's this fissure, there's this, there's this break between God and the trajectory of humankind. If you're a golfer, any golfers? If you're a golfer, you know all about trajectories and when sometimes things go off course, right? You line up your shot, you think you have great perfect trajectory right down the fairway, and pretty soon you hit that ball and it's off in the pond somewhere, right? The trajectory was not what you had intended. Things go off course the other way. And here God is creating things to go a certain way, and yet the trajectory goes in a completely different way than he desires or intended. And in 6.6, we read this. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on earth and his heart was filled with pain. Something happens in the heart of God. That's a powerful thing to think about, that something happens in the heart of God. It doesn't say in the text here that he was angry. It doesn't say that he was livid. It doesn't say that he was furious. It says that he was heartbroken. The God of all creation, our Heavenly Father, is heartbroken at the state of his creation, at what is going on in the lives of his children, at the decisions that they are making. And out of his overall holistic, deep grief for humankind, he decides to take an incredible act of judgment, and he decides to do a reboot. He does an old-school control-alt-delete. He does a force quit, and he decides to start anew. Genesis 6, 7 says, So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatures that move along the ground and birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. And he wipes them out in the form of a catastrophic fire. Unlike anything else that the world has ever seen, and fortunately, like anything since, he wipes out the world in a catastrophic flood. I can't imagine what that decision must have been like. You ever make something and realize that you have to kind of start all over again? You put in all this time and energy and effort into something only to find out that it's not working out the way that you were supposed to. Maybe you're working on your car, you tore it apart, working on the engine, you put it back together, and you forgot this. Oh, I've got to come back apart again. 
Here God is saying, things are not going the way that I wanted them to go, and I'm going to start over. Too often we view the flood as the focal point of this story, but what truly remains the central theme of this account is a grieved God who is willing to go to extraordinary lengths to recreate creation for the future and overall good of humankind. God is willing to do something radical in order to bring about renewal and restoration. To bring about congruity between creator and creation as he originally intended. And in order to do this, he enlists the help of a man. Think about that. I messed up. Or I didn't mess up, but my people messed up. I'm going to talk to one guy in particular, and I'm going to have him start again. How hard must that have been? Like, I did this. It should have been good, but you guys kind of took things under your own power. And yet he comes back to know a man who scripture tells us was found, who found favor in the eyes of the Lord. He was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. Here's the thing about Noah. He was righteous. It says that he was blameless, but he wasn't sinless. He was still a fallen man. Noah was not perfect. So here God is going to a sinful man who might have had a good relationship with God, but still was a fallen man to say, I'm going to use you to do something audacious, something big and bold in creation. I'm going to work through you. Now, clearly, no is different than the rest of humankind. That's why God approached him. There's this juxtaposition of humankind in general and no who found favor with the Lord and I think this points to the fact that even in the midst of the fallen and bro broken world, it is still possible on some finite human level to have faithfulness to God. Even though there's a disconnect, God wants us to be faithful to him. And we can, to the best of our abilities, with the, hope of, the help of the Holy Spirit, we can have faithfulness. But because Noah, Noah is of upstanding character, he remains faithful, and God has this job for him. And in Genesis 6, 13, it says, So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence. Because of them, I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. Can you imagine if you're Noah receiving that word? By the way, Noah, thank you for being upstanding. Thank you for having this relationship. But I'm going to destroy creation. You think about how when you receive bad news, your stomach just drops. Here's Noah receiving the ultimate bad news. I'm going to wipe out everything. And yet God gives Noah instructions to do something incredible. He says, Noah, I want you to build a giant boat. 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet tall. I want you to build a big boat. Now, we don't know exactly what Noah's profession was. Maybe he was a boat builder, a ship builder. But I think we can probably guess that he had never tackled a project quite that big before. That is a big boat. Especially to build at that time. That is a big, big boat. And in verse 17, God makes it very clear that this is going to be a very important boat. Noah, you better build this right. <coughs> Because there is an impending flood that is going to cover the earth. 
And for Noah's sake, for his peace of mind, fortunately in verse 18, God says, I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your family. He provides Noah some sort of reassurance, which I'm sure Noah appreciated. You know, no, you're not just building this for the sake of it. You're going to build it because I'm going to use you through this. I'm going to protect you and provide for you through this. This is the first time we see the word covenant in Scripture as well. And covenant is a really significant word. There's a lot of, of study. Again, this is another area if you want to go deeper in the study of Genesis. Covenant is a great word to study and, and go deeper on. But it's the first time that the word covenant is used. We see it throughout Scripture. But it's, it speaks to this idea of a formal commitment. At the end of the day, it's kind of this formal commitment. And there's debate between scholars on whether or not this is a brand new covenant or this is a covenant that is continued from Adam and now is being established with Noah. But at the end of the day... What is being done is God is saying to Noah, I have a divine purpose for you. He's saying, I want to use you. I have a divine purpose for you. And Noah listens to God. And he does as he's asked. And he, he builds this big ship, this, this vessel to collect animals and to store food and to keep them safe from the impending floodwaters. And it's a good thing that he did. Because the waters came and they raged. And for 40 days and 40 nights, the waters continued to, to raise. And the world was flooded for 150 days. Can you imagine the, the fear and the despair you might feel after 20 days, 30 days, 40 days, 100 days, 149 days? But God was faithful. And he protected both Noah and his family, as well as the animals. And after several attempts to send birds out, seeking land, one finally doesn't come back. He sends it out, and no one knows. He's received a leaf earlier, but now this bird doesn't even come back at all. He knows that there's dry land out there. It's when the time's right. He takes the cover off the ark, and when God gives him the okay, they come out on dry land. Can you imagine how that must have felt? step out on dry land after all of that time on that ship, not really knowing what was going to happen. He steps out on dry land, and he is so excited, you have to imagine. I mean, wouldn't you be? He's probably sea legs. But he's got to feel so good. What a sense of relief. And in an act of gratitude and worship, Noah builds an altar and offers a sacrifice to God. In Genesis 8, 20 through 22, it says this. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord, the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination in the human heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. God loves this offering. It is a fragrant offering that is pleasing to God. And Noah is so grateful for what God has done for him. Can you imagine what that would have been like? Here's the thing, God knows that mankind was still going to sin. He knew 
knew that there were still going to be things that grieved him. Things were still going to break his heart. And yet there's this, this thing that happens inside of God where he decides that I am not going to use the same means by which I had this last time to bring about change in creation. And in chapter 9, after giving Noah similar instructions to Adam to be fruitful and multiply, gives him authority over the plants and the animals, really creating this new Adam, so to speak. God formalizes his decision not to flood creation again by creating a covenant with Noah. Say, never again will all life be cut off by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And as a sign of this covenant, he gives the rainbow. What's interesting is that the word rainbow is not the word used in the text. It wasn't a word that they, they had. The word that was used was for bow, like an archer's bow and arrow. And so it creates this really vivid imagery of God laying down a tool, a weapon at his disposal in order to move and bring about change in a new and different sort of way. What powerful imagery is that? The Lord laying down his bow as a symbol of promise to his creation. The reality is the condition of humankind stays the same after the flood. And so God would be justified to continue using such means, but he chooses not to in an act of grace. Humankind is saved in spite of its fallen condition, and this sets the stage for his plan to rescue us. We know by looking through the remainder of scriptures that this is what he does. This is his plan. And he continues to use imperfect people like Noah, who at the end of chapter 9 we see gets drunk and is exposed to his sons. He continues to use imperfect people in this process of redemption. God continues to find ways to do new, big, audacious things in creation. Things that serve the purpose of bringing about reconciliation and restoration. Things that are countercultural. Things that are unbelievable and unexpected. Things that address the issues that grieve God. We find ourselves today in a world that undoubtedly grieves God. We see sickness and violence, corruption, greed, war. And he's calling his church to participate in a new work that brings hope and healing and restoration to the world. We are in an exciting season, an exciting new season here at NBC. I've been here for over eight years now, and I can tell you that in my time here at Maple Valley Church, I have never experienced the type of excitement that I see and experience now. The passion, the desire to impact the community and the world is something that I have not experienced before in this place. There is something new going on here at this church, in this church, and through this church. I believe that God has started a new work. I say this because of what has happened through Gen to Gen and the sacrifices that you have made to invest in the future of ministry. I say this because we have so many new families joining us. I say this because there's so many old families that have come back. I say this because there's this palpable excitement when you walk through the halls or when you come to an event. I say this because God has assembled a wonderful team of leaders and volunteers. 
And yet God's work is not done here. As a church, we are seeking God's guidance. Pastor Pete's word for the years, listen. He is listening. Our session, our elders, our other boards are listening. Our staff, we are listening to hear what it is that God, what, what it is that God might be calling us to. All because we want to follow God's lead on mission to do whatever it is that he would have us do to address those things that grieve the heart of God. And as individuals, we need to be doing the same thing. While the leadership of the church is considering next steps, we need to be doing the same thing as individuals. I don't know if you've ever heard the saying before, but the church is not a cruise ship, it's a battleship. And it's kind of cheesy. But it's also kind of spot on. This isn't a place just to come and kick back and just enjoy some nice music and a little talk. We are on mission. And I believe that God has an exciting mission in store for us. And we all have vital roles to play on mission. So the question is, what is God calling you to? What is your next step? We use this language, taking next steps. But what is your next step? What step are you taking? Is God calling you to study the Word so you can more effectively teach it? Is God calling you to be more intentional in praying for our church, our community, the world? Is God calling you to serve in new areas of ministry or perhaps serve for the very first time? Is God calling you to use your time, your talents, your resources your finances to further this mission? Is he calling you to intentionally invest in and disciple another person? Is he calling you to make worship attendance a higher priority, to come more regularly regularly and participate in corporate worship? Is he calling you to examine whether or not you are living a life of worship in your daily life? Is he calling you to engage in community? What is your next step? In your bulletin, you'll find a what's next card. And that card is to help prompt you in thinking through what perhaps your next step might be. I was talking to Pastor Pete a couple weeks ago, and I said that I think we need some dedicated, collective energy put towards listening and discerning the new things that God is calling us to, both personally, but also on a collective corporate level. And I told him, I think it's time for us to dedicate some time to prayer and fasting. He said, let's do it. So here is what is happening. Between now and Ash Wednesday, we are calling this body to a time of prayer and fasting. This means intentionally praying for discernment and direction for this church, but also for you as an individual. It means giving up something to, to reflect on God's provision and his faithfulness, but also serving as a reminder to engage in prayer. And what you give up and how you pray and when you pray, that is entirely up to you. But if you are willing to take this on, I ask that you do one thing this morning. I ask that on your connection card, in addition to your name and your contact information, on the back of the prayer section, you just write, I'm in. I'm in. I'm willing to pray. I'm willing to fast. Give up something until Ash Wednesday. I believe Ash Wednesday is the 6th of March. I'm willing to do this because I want to know where God is leading us. I want to be a part of it. I'm ready to take my next step. 
If you don't have a connection card, if you don't have a pen, you can't borrow one from someone next to you, please, please, please stop by the next environment over in this corner after service and fill a card out. I truly believe God is preparing MVC for something big. It will have a significant impact on the community, but it is going to require us all to have the bravery and obedience of Noah and be willing to live out the words of Isaiah. Here I am, send me. God did something new through Noah, and I believe he is doing something new through this church. And I can tell you that I, I can't wait to see what he has in store. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for the story of Noah. I thank you for the reminder that, Lord, you care so deeply about us. That you are willing to go to extraordinary lengths to help us be reunited with you. Lord, I pray that we'd be willing to step out of our comfort zone, that we would be willing to take a leap of faith, to try new things, to be bold, to trust that you will be faithful. And we pray, Lord, that you will work in miraculous ways in this congregation and around this community and world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.